theme this year, as you know, is, is the concept of transform. And that theme, that concept is really rooted in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, which says this, 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now we know at Emmaus that context is important. And so we actually want to meditate on 2 Corinthians 3 through 5 in our chapels this semester. And, and we want to see Christ in this passage. This, these chapters have much of the glory of Christ. And as we see his glory and meditate on it, this verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18, encourages us that we are going to be transformed more and more into his image. And so this morning, we want to begin in the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and launch our series in this great section of God's Word. And as we begin, I want to ask you, have you ever been given a responsibility for which you have felt totally inadequate? Maybe you were asked to give a message, uh, maybe serve in a ministry, and your first thought was... There's no way. Ask someone else. Maybe just being here at Bible college gives you a sense of inadequacy. If I'm honest with you, I have to confess that with every sermon I preach, I feel inadequate to the task. I'm well aware that I'm not sufficient to, in myself to proclaim the living Word of God. I can't change hearts. And so I constantly pray for God's help. I, I don't run away from the task. I study and prepare and, and pray that God would do His gracious work through His Word. But I'm very aware that my sufficiency for the task lies not in myself, but in God. And that's what Paul wanted to communicate to the Corinthians in, in our passage. Questions were being raised uh, by his opponents about Paul's competency, after all, he couldn't produce letters of recommendation from important people like they could, so why should they listen to him? But Paul makes it clear in our text this morning that his competency as a servant of Christ wasn't rooted in letters written by the right people. His sufficiency wasn't his own abilities. His sufficiency came from God. And really, that's the message for us as well. From our salvation to our service for Christ, our sufficiency doesn't come from our own efforts, our own ability, but from God's grace. And so Paul opens our passage discussing this concept of, of letters of recommendation, verses 1 through 3. And, and as we look at the context of our passage, we realize that Paul was concerned about false teachers who had come into Corinth. They appear to be, have been Judaizers who wanted to add law to the gospel and take people back to the Old Covenant. We learn in chapter 11 that they were preaching another Jesus and a different gospel. These opponents had put Paul in a, a rather awkward position. 
They were seeking to undermine his authority and even his message in the church in Corinth. And so Paul had to defend himself and his message among the very people who had been won to Christ through his preaching of that message. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 17, the, the immediate context of our passage where Paul contrasts his ministry with, with that of his opponents. He says, chapter 2, 17, For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Apparently, some in Corinth were asking, what made Paul's ministry valid? Was it simply because he commended himself? Paul's opponents, again, could produce letters of recommendation from important people that legitimized their ministry, but Paul didn't have any such letters. No one commended him, and so here he is commending himself. Look how he responds in verses 1 through 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we, as some do, need letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Letters of recommendation or commendation were common in the ancient world, and in principle, Paul had no problem with them. Sometimes he would commend his fellow workers in, in some of his letters. We see that, for example, with Timothy. But what Paul objected to was the idea that he needed to produce a letter to validate his ministry among the Corinthians. If the opponents wanted a letter, Paul says, okay, Corinthians, you are my letter. The fact that you are in Christ, that your lives have been transformed by the gospel, that's my letter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and in fact, turn back there for a moment, 1 Corinthians 6, we get a glimpse into the background of many of these believers 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Some of the believers in Corinth had been given over to various kinds of immorality. Others had been thieves. Some had been abusive. Some were alcoholics. Many in the church, you might say, had a rough past. But through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Lord was changing them in some remarkable ways. And it was Paul who preached this gospel to them. So if anyone required proof that Paul was a legitimate messenger of God, 
All they had to do was look around at the congregation in Corinth. Many faces told the story. Shattered lives, given new purpose and meaning, redeemed by the grace of God for, for the glory of God, and together they formed a living letter. And, Paul says in verse 2, they were written on his heart. This wasn't a letter he carried in his briefcase. He was their spiritual father. Notice from verse 2 that their lives together as a church formed a letter that could be read by all. People in Corinth could, could look at them, could see the Christian community, and, and their lives were like a letter. They were, they were a living testimony to the work of Christ. But Paul is clear here that he is not the author of the letter. Christ is. Verse, verse 3 says, You show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. So Paul's simply the messenger. It's Christ's work that produces the letter. And Christ is the author of the letter. Now let's pause here for a moment and think about this idea that we as believers are a letter of Christ that can be read by people. That's a challenging image, isn't it? The challenge is, is it obvious to anyone looking at me? Is it obvious from anyone looking at our lives that we are followers of Jesus Christ? Are we a, a letter from Christ to them? Do people observe us and think, you know, God is saying something to me through this person? To what extent does your life reflect your faith in Christ? If we're a letter of Christ, it follows that we ought to be legible and not like a medical doctor's prescription, pretty hard to decipher. Can others see the love of Christ, something of the humility of Christ, the compassion of Christ, the purity of Christ in you, in me? We are a letter of Christ. Be legible. If people in our culture don't read the Bible, then let them see Christ in you. Notice verse, in verse 3 the material that, that Christ uses for his letter, for his epistle. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. When Paul speaks of the Holy Spirit uh, working not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts, he's, he's really making a clear distinction between the ministry of the Old Covenant and the ministry of the New Covenant. The Old Covenant is represented by ten commandments inscribed by God literally on two tablets of stone. Of course, the, the Mosaic law, the Old Covenant, was good because it revealed the character of God, showed the people how to live in fellowship with God. The problem was, it was an external code. Its laws were literally written on stone. It didn't provide the internal power for sin, sinful people to live it out. It told them what to do, but it didn't deal with the heart didn't make any internal change. And so the law resulted in condemnation. 
But it also pointed to the need for a new covenant. And the Lord, of course, did promise a new covenant. He says, for example, in Ezekiel 36, listen to these words. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Jeremiah 31 adds, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Centuries later, not long before he would go to the cross, Jesus Christ took the cup and said to his disciples, this cup is what? The new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus Christ, through his blood, inaugurated the the new covenant, which does what the law could not do. It provides inward cleansing, which not only forgives our sins, but produces a, a changed heart, a new nature, and provides the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. For those who trust Christ as Savior, our heart of stone, our hard hearts towards God, is removed, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us and enables us to do what we couldn't do in our own power, love the Lord and follow Him. Someone has put it this way, to run and work the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. But better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly, gives me wings. Dr. Christian Barnard was the first surgeon to ever perform a heart transplant. And on one occasion, he was talking to his patient, Philip Blayberg, and he asked him, would you like to see your old heart? What a question. Blayberg said, well, yeah, I would, actually. And so Dr. Barnard went to the cupboard, and he took down a glass container and handed it to Blayberg. And inside that container was his old heart. For a moment, as you can imagine, he stood there in stunned silence, the first man in history to hold his own heart in his hands. He asked the the surgeon some questions, and then he took a final look at the glass container and said, So this is my old heart that caused me so much trouble. Now that's that's really a window into what Christ does for us. We remain the same people, but our hearts become radically new. It's true, we still have our sin nature that we struggle with, but as believers in Christ, we now have spiritual life that that makes us want to follow God and obey Him and love Him. We have the Holy Spirit to enable us to walk in His ways through doing that internal work in us. So we no longer have to be slaves of sin. Christ has changed our hearts. He's no longer merely commanding us from the outside. He's transforming us from within. So I have to ask, have you experienced this heart transformation? 
Have you embraced Christ as Savior and experienced the, this inward cleansing, this work of grace in your heart? See, this is our greatest need because when the Bible diagnoses our condition, it points straight to the heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In biblical terms, our heart is not just our emotions, but really the, the center of our whole being. And we are sinful to the core. The biblical diagnosis of our condition. Our hearts are self-centered, full of coveting and rebellion and lust and pride and deceit. We have a terminal case of heart disease that brings spiritual death. Nothing we can do, trying to be a good person or trying to keep the law, giving to charity, none of that can give us spiritual life, can give us a new heart. Only Christ's his death on the cross for our sins and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit can, can deal with our hearts, can cure our hearts. Do you have a new heart? See, what Paul is doing in, the, in this text is, is really showing how superior the ministry of the new covenant is to the old. See, the new covenant deals with the heart. It's not merely an external code. It brings real and true transformation through God's Spirit. But there were false teachers in Corinth that wanted to take the, the Corinthians back to the bondage of the Old Covenant. And the point Paul is making here is, why would you want to follow ministers of the Old Covenant when the New Covenant has come in the Gospel of Christ? And that leads Paul into the second section of our text, verses 4 through 6. Verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has, who has made us competent or sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, where the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul makes clear that, that his confidence as a minister of Christ didn't come from reference letters written by men. His confidence, verse 4 says, is through Christ. Paul's letter was the Corinthians, but they are a letter written by Christ, and thus Paul's confidence is in Christ, not himself. These, uh, these opponents in Corinth, if you read through this letter, they're constantly trying to undermine Paul. They were forever pointing out his weaknesses, and they were boasting in themselves, trying to show everyone how competent they were. And when Paul has to defend his ministry for the sake of the gospel that he preached to the Corinthians, he, he's concerned that it's not misunderstood as mere self-promotion. And that's why he said in verse 1, are, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? But as you continue on, you see clearly Paul wasn't about advertising himself. That was not the point. His confidence was through Christ toward God. If Paul tried to find his adequacy to be a minister of the new covenant from himself, then he was bound to fail. 
he came to recognize very well that the source of his sufficiency was not himself. And so he says, verse 5 again, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. That's a, that's a healthy, refreshing perspective. Paul had no delusions of grandeur. He, he knew he wasn't sufficient to create a church in Corinth. He couldn't make them respond to the gospel. He certainly couldn't change their hearts. His sufficiency to be a servant of the new covenant came completely from God. And ultimately, it was God's work through him. So oh, that's a huge principle for us, for, for you and for me to get a hold of. Those whom, God's, those whom God delights to use are aware of their own inadequacy. Take heart. Those whom God delights to use are, 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 are aware that, that their confidence shouldn't be in their own abilities, their own strength. They know they have to look to God. Think, think of Moses when God called him, he keenly felt his inadequacy, you remember? In fact, he wanted God to send someone else. Exodus 4 says this, But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is not I the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Moses needed to learn that his sufficiency came from God. And this pattern is, is seen throughout redemptive history. When Jeremiah, when the Lord called Jeremiah to be a prophet, he felt inadequate. He said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. To which the all sufficient God said, do not say I am only a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And this pattern is found throughout church history as well. We fast forward to the 19th century. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher, preached in his opinion one of his worst sermons. I'd be happy to preach Spurgeon's worst sermon. But he felt as though he stammered and floundered, and when he finally got through, he, he, he thought it was a complete failure. He felt humiliated. And when he got home, he got down on his knees and prayed, Lord, you can do something with nothing. Bless that poor sermon. All through the week, he uttered that prayer. And the following Sunday, he, he thought he did much better preached a very fine sermon, he went home pleased with himself, but he decided to watch the results from those two sermons. Eventually, he was able to trace 41 conversions to Christ from the sermon that seemed like such a failure to him. But from his polished sermon, he was unable to discover that anyone was saved through it. You see, verse 5 rings true throughout all of biblical history, all of church history, right down to each one of us this morning. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, 
but our sufficiency is God. You know, that's humbling, but it's deeply liberating. As we close, let me ask you, where does your sufficiency come from? I know you're not a prophet or a Spurgeon, but the Lord has called you to, to serve Him. Who are you relying on? What about your basic approach to life? Where does your adequacy come from? Are you trying to, to, to live by your own strength, by your own abilities? Where does your sufficiency come from to be a letter from Christ? You see, God's not looking for people who are self-sufficient. He's looking for inadequate people who will give their weakness and their sin to Him and rest in the grace that comes through the gospel and learn again and again to depend on Christ for their sufficiency. On the other hand, maybe you're a bit like Moses, trying to hide behind your inadequacy. I don't know what God may be calling you to. Maybe the mission field. Maybe to help in a Bible study. Maybe just to be a faithful witness for Christ wherever He calls you. Whatever it is, don't hide behind your own weakness. Your weakness is actually the ground of His calling. Follow Christ and He will use your weakness as an occasion for His grace. Hudson Taylor was the founder of China Inland Mission. He spent 51 years in China bringing over 800 missionaries into the country who, became, who began 125 schools and according to one account, resulted in 18,000 conversions to Christ. Hudson Taylor said this, God chose me because I was weak enough. God did not, does not do his work by large committees. He trains somebody to be quiet enough and little enough and then uses him. See, God uses people who are weak so that His grace and His sufficiency and His glory might be seen through them. As we think about transformed this semester, this year, may God's gracious work be seen increasingly in us as we find our sufficiency, not in ourselves, but in Him. Father, we thank You. We thank You for the transforming work of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the work of the, the Holy Spirit that replaces our heart of stone with a heart that is soft to You, responsive to You. We pray, Lord, that since we are such recipients of Your amazing grace, that we would have the desire to serve You. And as we do, we pray that, that we would realize our sufficiency for such a high calling comes not from ourselves, but from You. So strengthen us, we pray. Walk humbly before You and before others, and may truly Christ's letter be seen in each of us. Pray in Jesus' name.